Koppel, host of the Time for Coffee podcast, where you get firsthand career advice into the jobs and industries that interest you the most. And before we start today's show, I have a quick favor to ask you. If you haven't already, I'd be incredibly grateful if you give us a rating and a review on iTunes. And if you're like me, you need to do it now because you'll forget later and because it's the best way to help others who may be in search of career advice to find this free resource. So press pause if you haven't done it and do it right now. I'll wait. Thanks so much and enjoy today's show. Java junkies, welcome back to another episode of T4C. If you're interested in breaking into public service, either in government or the field of criminal justice, then this is the episode for you. Because my next guest has spent over 15 years working in government, specifically in the state of Massachusetts. But before I introduce you to David Halbert, the outreach manager at MIT's Educational Justice Institute, I want to make sure you've signed up for the Java Junkies Journal. That's T4C's weekly newsletter that comes out on Mondays with unique insights into dozens of different industries from the professionals who are actually working in them. Just head over to the Time for Coffee website at time, the number four, coffee.org, and the sign-up box is right there. Now, my Java lovers, please grab your mug and take a chug of your favorite caffeinated brew because it's time for another caffeinated career conversation. And my guest is David Halbert, the outreach manager at the Educational Justice Institute, an innovative and groundbreaking initiative founded in 2017 that provides a transformative learning experience for men and women locked up behind bars and university students at the Massachusetts Institute of Technology, or MIT. Prior to joining the Educational Justice Institute, David was a candidate for the Boston City Councilor at Large seat in 2019 in one of the most competitive council elections in Boston's history. His campaign was noted for its innovative and thoughtful policy platform, which helped him secure the endorsement of community organizations and activists across the city, including the Boston Globe, New England's largest newspaper. At the same time David ran for a city council seat, he also wore another hat, as the Deputy Director of Community Affairs at the Middlesex Sheriff's Office, where he was responsible for development and implementation of outreach strategies for targeted communities of color, faith-based organizations, immigrant groups, LGBTQ organizations, higher educational institutions, and service organizations. Earlier in his career, David worked as a staff member for former Massachusetts Governor Deval Patrick and former Boston City Councilors Sam Yoon, and John Tobin, as well as State Treasurer Timothy Cahill. David's firsthand experience with civic engagement started very young through the Boy Scouts. And in fact, David became one of the less than 4% of Scouts and less than 1% of African-American Scouts to earn his Eagle Scout Award, Scouting's highest honor. David, welcome to Time for Coffee. Are you caffeinated and ready to go? I am quite caffeinated and very ready to go. Thank you so much for having me. 
Oh, it's my pleasure. I feel like I need some more caffeine. I'm like dragging. I don't know about you. It's like 2.30 here on the East Coast at the end of August. And like, I need that first hit espresso shot of the day feeling in my brain. Well, believe me, I know the feeling. Thank you for that generous introduction. But, you know, the most important hat that I wear, the most important job that I have is being a proud father of two very active little girls who are up bright and early every morning. So I have a full appreciation for the joys of caffeinated beverages of all types. Oh, my God. So how old are your daughters? They are five and two. Ooh. Oh, my goodness. And does your wife work from home as well? Right now, uh, in the scope of the pandemic, yes, we both work from home. Uh, she actually works at a biopharmaceutical company that is just a few blocks away from MIT's campus. So even when we're not at home working, we're still working fairly close to one another. Okay, well, my hat is off to you and your wife, David, because one thing I've said over and over during this pandemic, my husband and I have a 16-year-old son, is what would we do if we had small children? (laughs) You know, you're not the first one to tell me that. Oh, oh my God. Well, listen, let us dive into these 10 espresso shots before we scare all of our young listeners about (laughs) wanting to have a family at all. What are (laughs) the entry level jobs, David, that are available to young people who want to break into the field of public service? Sure. Well, I would say, you know, For me, my pathway to public service was largely through education and then political campaigns. And that's a great way Uh, here in Massachusetts and particularly in the city of Boston. You know, we're very fortunate if you like politics because there's a campaign every year and there's always some way to get connected and get involved. And it's not just about getting connected to that elected official and hopefully following them into office, but it's also about building out that network so that you have other people that can open doors for you. So starting off being willing to knock on doors, make phone calls do all the unglamorous work of those campaigns is a great way to get connected to elected officials. And then outside of the elected realm on the more traditional government side, just looking for those beginning jobs. I started, as you said, my career beginning with Massachusetts State Treasurer Timothy Cahill, and my job was literally sitting at the front desk, answering the phones and welcoming people into the executive office at our state house here in Boston. And from there, my career has continued to grow. So I think for all of those opportunities that you're looking for, you have to understand that you're probably going to start somewhere low. You're probably going to start doing things like making runs to get coffee and things like that, but making yourself available to that, performing at your highest and always looking for new opportunities to contribute is the way not just to get your foot in the door in those jobs, but also to grow into better ones. Yeah. And I would also have to imagine, David, that even when you're doing more of the less glamorous jobs, like running to get coffee or bringing the member their talking points or answering phones, you still have the opportunity to absorb a lot just by being in the room, right? A hundred percent. There's a reason that Hamilton song became so popular. I think that one of the great things that you can experience, and if you're able to work in a legislative capacity, because in any state house, really, in any part of the country, it's a building that brings your entire state together under one roof. So you can see all of the different complexities of wherever it is that you live. But one of the other things is that you're able to develop those skills if you're willing to pay attention. You know, I benefited from the fact that after I completed my undergraduate degree, 
I had a small summer intern, postgraduate internship with our local state representative, who was also an alum from my undergraduate college. And he was a wonderful guy, still a friend and was a supporter of my campaign, but he was also a committee chairman at the time. And so we had people to do basically everything, we had a chief of staff and district aides, budget people, communications, the whole kit and caboodle. And while I really am very, very grateful for that opportunity, I always look back and say, you know, had I been working for a freshman representative who only had one aide and thus needed a lot, all the same level of work done serving their constituents, but didn't have the personnel, I would have gotten my hands in a little bit deeper right from the outset as far as those skills that ended up, of course, coming uh, to the fore a little bit later. And I developed and I'm glad that I was able to, but you can get in right at the ground floor there with somebody when they're building themselves up and learn right alongside them in some ways. Excellent. David, what is a useful hard and soft skill that you look for in the young people that you hire? Sure. As far as the hard skills, you know, we are here in the 21st century. It is a technologically driven age, particularly in public service work. So individuals who either have technical backgrounds and can put that, whether it's web development, you know, digital marketing, all these different pieces, or a very enthusiastic willingness to learn about those, I think is really, really important as far as the skills that I'm looking for when I'm talking with people. But as far as the soft skills go, it's something that comes probably from my upbringing. I'm originally from Cincinnati, Ohio, and my family's from down south. So manners are something that are very, very big in my household and always have been. And so I look for that. You know, it's the please, the thank you, the follow-up, because those are the people when, when I'm thinking about who I want to bring on, whether it was during my campaign or in the offices that I've worked in, I don't just think of the interactions that we'll have, but I think of the interactions they're going to have with other people on behalf of myself or the organization that I'm a part of. I want people who are going to be good ambassadors for what we're trying to do and what our values are at the corporate sense. So, you know, making that effort to be intentional, to take that extra step uh, and be thoughtful in how folks interact with one another is something that I take very, very seriously. And as I tell my daughters and my young nephew all the time, manners cost nothing, but they're worth everything. Ooh, that is a great saying. So were you raised with the ma'am and sir when you were addressing your elders? Oh, yes. Everyone. Everyone was ma'am or sir. You know, I, I don't think I ever called an adult by their first name probably until I got to college. So it was a bit of a culture shock moving from that area of the world and here in the United States to area where a lot of those interactions are a little looser than I grew up around. And, you know, I think that I benefit from that, though, because I know that it made me stand out in some ways because of conversations that I've had with others uh, as I've gone through my career and just in my personal life. And so I was happy to have that a little bit of a distinction, but also because I think it spoke for me even beyond the words that I was saying in any interview. Absolutely. I was raised also with my parents being extremely aware of the need to have for their children to have good manners. And I've certainly tried to do that. I have a 16-year-old son, tried to do that with him, but I didn't raise him with the ma'am and sir, and I kind of wish I had. I really do. I feel <laughs> like it just is that extra flourish. It really is, especially when a young person is exhibiting that level of social grace. David, is someone's major a deciding factor to get into this 
profession. In other words, if they haven't studied government or criminal justice or political science, is it a deal breaker? No, not at all. Obviously, if you're in college and you're studying things that are a little bit more directly germane to public service and to government affairs, things like that, of course, it's easily applicable. But for my own story, I was an English major, English communications, and I focused in public relations. And my initial goal when I went into college was actually that I'd leave and get a PR and marketing kind of a job with the American Red Cross. That was the goal. Obviously, my career has taken a little bit of a different pathway, but it shows that you can bring those skills, you know, particularly at the undergraduate level. So much of what you're learning, especially for folks who are in the humanities and more of the classic liberal arts, is really based around thinking and how you approach problem solving, how you work around projects and deliverables and things like that. And those skills are much more generally applicable really in any facet of your professional life, but particularly in government and particularly on things like political campaigns, because those other skills you can learn and you can be taught as long as you're connected with the right people in those spaces. And really what they're looking for is work ethic and a willingness to listen and to learn more than anything. But of course, if you have a few hard skills that you're coming to the table with, that never hurts. So guess what, David? (laughs) I studied political science in college, and I guess it was like my, well, it was in my third career. I worked in PR for the American Red Cross. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God, that is so funny. By the way, you did well. I can tell you offline. You really made the right choice in moving in that direction. But uh, (laughs) anyway, I only stayed at the Red Cross for a year. So I think that should speak for itself. Um, What about a grad school degree? How important is it to have one? Less so for those entry-level positions, more so for somebody who wants to run for office, who wants to be in the C-suite, whatever the case may be, whether it's in a nonprofit, whether it's in government, and if so, what are the most useful ones to have? Sure. Well, I don't think it's um, by any means mandatory to have a graduate degree or terminal degree of any point. I know plenty of people, both elected officials and senior government officials, who don't. But what I will say is that not everyone's career is created equal. Myself, I'm African-American. You know, I have friends who are from other communities of color and different groups, uh, women, members of the LGBTQ community. And so for those of us who come from groups that often find ourselves in a professional sense, somewhat marginalized or doubted or looked at skeptically, having the imprimatur of a graduate degree or a terminal degree of some type helps somewhat. It doesn't solve all of our problems by any means from a professional sense, but it does add to the calling card and the willingness for folks sometimes to even listen to what you have to say. And obviously we're all trying to work or should be trying to work towards a world where that isn't the case, but we can only get there from where we are right now. So I would say, you know, for individuals who are coming from those communities, just being mindful of that, but also making sure that as you're engaging in these spaces, whether you do have a degree or you don't, you're also looking to lift up other folks who uh, are coming up behind you. You know, I think that's a a critical component of it. And in those spaces, having something like a graduate degree that gets you into the room, that's one of the important obligations that you have from doing that is to make sure that people are able to come in from behind you. As far as what are the most useful ones in our field, I would say generally from a legislative perspective, you see a lot of lawyers for a very particular reason. You are literally crafting law in uh, the legislature. So a JD. Myself, I have a master's degree in public administration and I have a number of friends who work running nonprofits 
nonprofits work in municipal management, and that's kind of the industry standard degree. And then, of course, a strong component of my friends also are folks with master's degrees in public policy, because you are creating and thinking through what these new approaches to solving our systemic and social problems are going to be. So I'd say those are three, but by no means are those exhaustive. You know, my mother was a 26-year career federal employee with the Environmental Protection Agency. She has a master's degree in environmental engineering, which, of course, was very important for the work that she did. So there is, because of the breadth of government, it literally touches everything in our society. There is a place for everyone and every focus and facet of learning. Fantastic. That was a really helpful answer. Thank you. What kinds of life experiences, David, those experiences that most of us have outside the classroom? As I mentioned in the introduction, you were involved in the Boy Scouts from the time you were a little guy and ended up becoming an Eagle Scout. What do you think are the most useful types of life experiences for someone to try to cultivate before they break into this field? Sure. I think particularly for folks who want to be on the more political side, um, having a job in the service industry actually is really important because, you know, it's all about your management. And I go back to my first job was actually with the Boy Scouts. When I was about 15 years old, I was the dining hall steward at the Boy Scout camp that I went to for years uh, with my Boy Scout troop. And my job there was to manage our dining hall, where every week we would have two to 300 scouts ranging from about 11 till 18. We had a lot of parents who were there, sometimes getting up very early in the morning and wanting coffee, of course, to the focus <laughs> of this conversation. Three meals a day and you're doing everything from making sure that the floors are swept, the tables are cleaned and being bussed, that people are coming up in an orderly fashion to get their food and coming back down. And it was a trial by fire in some ways as a young person, but it also teaches you a lot of skills. You're managing laterally among people who in some cases were literally the kids I went to school with and trying to direct them dictate them in certain ways. You're managing down towards some of the younger scouts who are there and try, who've been, you've been in those shoes and trying to get them to do what they need to do and be part of the larger effort. And you're managing up because there's still a lot of adults, senior officials within the camp community there that you need to get to do the things that you need them to do in order to make the flow of food, in this case, possible for everybody. And, you know, if the, I wasn't doing my job and I wasn't doing it effectively, that had very serious complications and implications for the rest of the day and for the entire camp because you can't do the things you're doing in summer camp, you know, running, swimming, archery, all these kind of things. If you're doing it on an empty stomach, if you're feeling bad about the food you were eating or the service that you had. So I think that service industry jobs that way because of the demands and because of the fact that they tend to be typically very fast paced and you have to learn how to deal with disappointment. You have to learn how to deal with people who don't necessarily agree with you and whether you feel like you're right or not uh, and learn how to let that kind of roll off your shoulders if you can and keep moving and perform at your highest level all the time. And I think that's really important. And in many ways, for some folks, you know, it can also be a necessary degree of humbling because you might think you are in one particular phase of your life or presenting in one particular way and having somebody yell at you over, you know, a salad they didn't like can really give you a very quick and bracing lesson in kind of the social hierarchy and how we move through it. Mm, yes, absolutely. David, you've obviously spent a number of years in this field. What is the best part for you of being in this profession, of being in this 
field? Sure. For me, the best part of being in public service, it's certainly not trying to get rich because very few of us are doing that. But in all seriousness, it's really just the fact that the work that you do has social value. And, you know, you are helping people. And for me, whether it was, you know, the work that I did earning my Eagle Scout Award as, as a kid, whether it was the work that I was doing and I was in college and in student government and serving as a representative to our state's Board of Higher Education, the work that I've done as a member of campaign the work I've done as a candidate, the work I've done in public service, it's all been oriented and thrust towards how do we help? How do we, those of us who have been given different levels of skills and privileges in the society, how do we use those to advance others, to advance causes around social justice, to advance equity, to make people's lives better? And that's what motivates me each and every day. That's what I've looked for in the different areas of my career that I've explored and investigated. And that's what makes me so happy about the choices professionally that I've had to make. Well, we know that As wonderful as these fields can be, working in public service, I've worked in the nonprofit field, you you feel great, you feel mission-driven, mission-oriented, but there's also the bullshit that we have to deal with day in, day out, in our jobs, and I know that you have a relatively new job that you started just before covid hit as the outreach manager at the Educational Justice Institute. What is the part of that current job, David, beyond COVID? that sucks the most? (laughs) Uh, Well, you know, it is a relatively new job for me. I was only brought on board as of March of this year. So literally hit campus and then everybody was escorted off. So that's been difficult and challenging environment to operate in. But as far as what sucks, it's less of what sucks is it's more of a challenge that we're facing within carceral education, prison-based education generally, which is for a lot of folks, it's really hard because they don't have a connection to that system. And that's a good thing. We don't want to have people, unfortunately, be connected to incarceration and the impacts of that. But at my previous job, the sheriff's office, the sheriff had a saying, which I know he heard from others, and I think it's really, really important, which is people who go into prison don't go by themselves. They bring their families with them. They bring their communities with them at times. And that's really important. And that's the hardest part of my job is when you are encountering people who have been able to avoid all that, letting them know and trying to, you know, put on them that same sense of urgency to speaking to the issues of a population that is often forgotten about in our society because they violated social norms, because they are now literally behind a wall and bars and razor wire, and they are out of sight and out of mind. The sheriff that I work for had one other saying that it really spoke to me and I carry with me and the work that I do today, which is the vast majority of people who are incarcerated are not actually bad people. They're people who may a bad choice. And I keep that centered in the work that I do when I think about it because when I'm having those difficult conversations, that's what I want to impart to people is that these are people. These are members of our community. These are our brothers and sisters and others and that we have to do for them. And so is the part that sucks the most right now that you're not really able to to do that work because of the coronavirus? That's a part of it. And also, of course, even when you are able to do that work, there's people who, because there's so many other competing priorities, as a parent, you know, you know, we're getting to the beginning of the school year. People
people's minds are shifted to now these days, you know, how are we literally going to educate our children in ways that are safe and that are going to be intellectually nourishing? And so trying to fight through all that other noise to make this points which are so important for me on a day-to-day basis and elevate those to an area of importance for them. And so it sucks because it's it's really hard. I'm not going to lie. It's really hard work. But I also think that it's the hard work that's worth doing. Fantastic. So three final espresso shots. What is the best career advice you've ever gotten, David? Sure. That came in my first full-time job where one of my supervisors pulled me aside and we were talking one day and he said, just remember, the people you see on the way up are the people you see on the way down. And that really stuck with me because particularly working around elected officials, you know, it's often about advancement and moving and growing. And you start off as an aide and maybe you move up to a chief of staff and then you run for office yourself and you're encountering so many people and hopefully, depending on how successful you are, moving upwards and times climbing over people. But it's very easy to fall off those perches, I think, as we've seen from not just elected officials, but really anyone who's uh, attained high office in this country, that it's very easy to fall and that you're, once again, you're going to see those same people as you and how you treat them on the way up can oftentimes dictate who is going to reach out that hand to you when you are in need. Absolutely. Is another way of saying that don't burn bridges? 100%. 100%. Okay. I try to leave my matches at home. Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic advice. David, are there any movies or Netflix, Amazon, Hulu shows or books that you think accurately depict this profession? You know, there's a lot of political shows out there. I think that the the cliche, but it's real, is that a lot of people want to think that they're working in the early seasons of House of Cards, but they're really operating in an episode of Veep. And and that's kind (laughs) of true, you know, that folks who are in government are, by and large, the folks that I've at least had the pleasure of encountering are good people trying to do really difficult work in tough situations and under tough conditions. And so, you know, when you're looking at things like Parks and Rec, which is, you know, obviously funny, but oriented in a particular way, or Veep or cards and all these things. It's thinking and seeing well reflected that work. I don't know if there's anything that's fully encapsulated it, but I would say, you know, at least for me, the one that I think as somebody who's been in the field that makes me chuckle the most at the very least is probably Veep. Yeah. Have you worked with any Jonas? <laughs> I'm going to plead the fifth on that. <laughs> I think I've come across like threads of Jonas. <laughs> Final espresso shot. What would Java junkies be surprised to learn about this profession? Sure. I think in the terms of public service more generally is just how fast paced it can be. I think there's this kind of preconceived notion particularly around government. And there is a distinction that should be drawn between politics and government that it's because it's a very large bureaucracy and it can move from an outside perspective at a snail's pace that, you know, people are just sitting around kind of languishing and making their way towards their pensions when really there are, of course, actors, bad actors, that kind of 10% at the end of the bell curve there. But the vast majority of people are going in and working and trying to innovate and trying to do things and working through uh, some really tough systems. And that if you pay attention to that, and if you actually get engaged with that and understand the interplay between community work and government work, between media and government work and all these different pieces, you'll have a significantly better understanding, not just of the government that has an impact on your life, but also how you can be engaged and be a part of it. Because oftentimes I think folks feel that government is something that happens at arm's length and 
don't realize the fact that they are a part of it, whether or not they work in a government job or hold an elected office. Oh, what a perfect note on which to end. If you want to learn more about what David does as Outreach Manager at the Educational Justice Institute, which is affiliated with MIT. Check out show notes for this episode to see if David's main time for coffee interview has already dropped. David, thank you so much for making time for coffee today with me and the T4C community. This was just wonderful. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks so much for listening to this latest episode of T4C. And if you're interested in learning more about my coaching services for confused college students and recent grads, feel free to check out the Time for Coffee website under the coaching tab at time, the number four, coffee.org or text me at 202-236-5712. That's 202-236-5712. Thank you.